0: to the next, this is a question that's just always stuck with me. It's a question that this passage raises for me. And I think it's an honest and a genuine question. How will I be remembered? And especially just the most recent transition, thinking particularly about this place and you people. It's become a very real question for me again. How will I be remembered by the students, the staff, and faculty here at Southwest. And so this morning, I want to invite you to consider this question for yourself as well. How will, how will you be remembered? I want to nuance that idea in just a bit, but before I do, just, 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 just to have a little fun with you, right? I've, uh, as I look back on the totality of my life, right, I'm remembered And people remember me for a lot of things. And if you were in my class, you'll know that people remember me for a lot of stupid things. Um, Like when I was a kid, I did a lot of dumb things. Like the time when I um, just totally tomatoed my best friend's house. Because tomatoes are from Satan. And they shouldn't exist. So I was remembered as the kid who one summer when my best friend Danny and his family went on vacation... I went to Danny's dad's garden and I picked every single tomato and I threw every single tomato at Danny's house because it was fun. There was an air conditioner and the fan sat very high and so I could just shove those tomatoes down into the air conditioning unit. Right? We all remember for doing some 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 dumb things. Maybe some of you also remember the time I almost took a girl's eye out. You want to hear a story? Some of you have heard the story. Some of you haven't. So long story short, when I was a kid, we would play this game during the summer, and the game went something like this. It was kind of like Capture the Flag or King of the Hill, and... um, The neighborhood I lived in had a lot of kids my age, and so we would, like, separate into two teams, boys and girls, and we would divide our neighborhood into two territories, the guy's territory and the girl's territory, and the goal to win the game was you had to conquer the entire neighborhood. You had to conquer the territories, and the way you would do that is you would go into the yard that belonged to the other team, and you'd—this is stupid—but you'd physically push people out of the yard, the kids, like, so for me, because I was a guy, the girls out of the yard, and then you would take, overtake the yard. And so we had been playing this game for a couple days, because it took a little while to finally win, and, uh, it, it's at the end of the game, and there's only one more yard for me and my friends and my buddies to conquer, and so kind of, the girls are stationed in the backyard of Danny, my best friend, the guy, the kid I tomato at his house, and, um, And and I'm standing there on the other side of Danny's backyard fence with all of my guy buddies and all the girls are huddled huddled in the middle. And we're trying to figure out how are we going to push all these girls out of this yard and and finally win the game. Now the one thing I haven't told you is throughout this entire time I've been carrying a PVC pipe that's um, broken on the end so it's fashioned like a spear. And I'm standing there on the fence with my buddies holding this PVC pipe saying, don't make me throw this. And all the girls are in the middle like, you're not going to throw it. And then in all of my eight, seven, eight-year-old wisdom, I turn to my buddies and I say, should I throw it? And what do you think they said? Yeah. Okay. Boom. Right? And I let go of this PVC pipe that, again, was fashioned as a spear. And in my mind, I feel like I remember thinking, that was the stupidest thing you could have ever done. Right, and then end over end this PVC pipe is toppling through the air and it's making its way right toward the center of this cluster of girls. Ah in the yard. Next thing I know, it lands somewhere in the middle. We couldn't see, but as soon as it lands, the girls kind of like spread like like water and oil, except for one girl who's down in the middle on her knees, holding her face. Blood's just running down her face. Put a massive gash over her forehead. Right, so I've been remembered for for doing some pretty stupid things. And I say that because I'm not necessarily talking about, like, the totality of your life. How will you be remembered? But when I'm asking the question for myself, how will I be remembered? How will, how will you be remembered? What, what I mean by that is, as you think about your life today, not necessarily in the past, but today, you think about your life in the here and now, you think about your life as a student- at Southwest Christian High School. How will you be remembered? And maybe the better way to capture this question is, how are you being remembered? Or maybe even more plainly, what are you known for? And it's in 2 Samuel 23 that we're introduced to this character named Benaiah, who's known and remembered for doing some of the craziest and wildest, and if I'm honest, even kind of disturbing things. That you'll read about in all of scripture. And yet it's, it's not so much the content. But I believe that the story of Beniah has a lot to teach us about what it means to be remembered. So what I want to do is quickly just walk you through these three great deeds of Beniah, And then maybe challenge us in relation to his story. So, the first great thing Beniah is remembered for is mentioned in 2 Samuel 23, verse 20, and the text is on the screen. It says this: Beniah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great deeds. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. Now, at first glance, maybe you're like, well, that doesn't seem all that impressive. Maybe Moab's two mightiest warriors are really not all that impressive but at the risk of getting somewhat technical with you, and I'm going to because I can, the problem that we encounter here is that the description given for these two warriors of Moab is actually lost on our English translations. We try our best to make sense of what this word is. The Hebrew word for these two warriors is ariel, and not, not, not this. All right, not ariel. All right, get that out of your mind. But you'll notice if you read some English translations like the ESV, they will actually leave this word in the text. And the reason they do this is because we don't really know what this word means. Or we don't have English ideas to capture the sense of this particular word. If we were going to do a word study, like get get really nerdy, I teach principles of biblical interpretation at Crown. So we get to do this kind of stuff. But we'd find that this word Ariel, Ariel, summons images of ferocious beasts, lions, monsters. And Benaiah is remembered for striking down two of Moab's Ariels, ferocious beasts. The second great deed is this in 23, the end of verse 20 says, He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Now, the thing to note is that lions were not particularly plentiful in this region, uh, as far as we know. And so capturing a lion was a prized possession. And the way hunters would often capture a lion is they would dig a pit, and they would hope to entice the lion to drop down into the pit, and then the lion could not climb out. And then you would just stand above the pit, and you'd shoot with an arrow or something at the lion in order to take the lion out. Now, our friend Benaiah, apparently he's not a very skilled hunter, right? Because it says that he didn't think through the whole hunting thing. He decides to get down into the pit with the lion. And how's the weather that day? Snowy, right? And we in Minnesota know full well that snow doesn't always provide the best traction. Well, Benaiah isn't bothered by this. Instead, he climbs down into the pit on a snowy day and he faces the lion head on and he takes out the lion. The third great feat that Beniah is remembered for is this. It says he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Beniah now spear, just so you know, I did not tell the story because of this, about spears. But although the G- Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Beniah went against him with a club. Beniah snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and struck him with his own spear. Now let me just stop here and just say something. If I'm honest with you, a bit of the violence in some of these stories is kind of troubling. And it's okay to admit that. It's okay that when you read some stories in the Bible, you feel, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. God, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Or even, God, I don't like that. That's just a little side note. But regardless, two images from this account stand out which make this accomplishment memorable. The first is that the author calls the Egyptian a huge Egyptian. Some translations actually translate this word huge as handsome. Now, it's important to um, know that handsome did not mean for them what it means for us today. For instance, my wife often calls my son handsome. It's my son. It's his birthday today. He's an awesome, cute little dude, right? He's a handsome little guy, right? My wife says, Gideon, you're so handsome. She never says that to me. Interesting, right? But in using the term handsome, my wife is not using it in the way that the Old Testament times understood this term handsome. The idea of handsome in the Old Testament, like King Saul was handsome, meaning King Saul was strong. And, and tall. So here's, here's the catch. Even though my wife, Laura, doesn't think I'm handsome, the Bible says I am, right? And here at Southwest, there are a lot of handsome dudes. For instance, the great Mr. Welly, right? I have on occasion been accused of agreeing that Mr. Welly has sexy appeal. You can ask me about that later. this this used to hang on the wall in my classroom yes another the great Mr. Peckering right he's a handsome dude we also can't forget about the next one yes now, let me tell you a story before I started at Southwest. When I was just kind of looking at the pictures of the faculty here, I thought that this dude was a short nerd. I thought that Mr. Thompson was going to be like the tall jock. I was wrong. Right? Sorry, Mr. Thompson. Right? So, this Egyptian, he's handsome, he's tall, he's strong. Not only does Benaiah defeat this huge Egyptian, but the second image that stands out is that by all accounts, right, Benaiah is sorely outmatched, right? The text says that Benaiah has a club, this Egyptian has a spear, and if this Egyptian is tall, right, his spear is probably 12 feet in length. And somehow Benaiah is able to wrestle the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and strike him down with his own weapon. And then 2322 says this, such were the deeds of Benaiah. Three crazy, wild, and kind of troubling deeds. Stories that when you and I read them, I think that we feel almost like we're watching the newest installment of Marvel. I've never seen a Marvel movie, but I can tell you exactly what happens in it. The good guys win. Stories that are so incredible. right? We, we, we almost can't explain them. But as unbelievable as the deeds of Benaiah are, if we keep reading, we're told this about Benaiah. It says, he too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three. And David, so King David, put him in charge of his bodyguard. Now there's a lot I could say about those words, but the thing I want us to take away is this, and this is what? has caused this story to stick with me is that as great as Benaiah's deeds were, Benaiah was known and remembered for something far more significant than those three deeds. The reason you and I read about Benaiah today is not because of those three great deeds. It's because Benaiah was remembered first and foremost for one thing, Beniah lived for his king. He lived his life for his king. I'm convinced that if you and I had the opportunity to go back in time and talk to people who knew Ben Naiah, maybe the first thing they would tell us is not that he struck down two of Moab's greatest warriors, not that he killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day, not that he struck down a huge Egyptian. That, oh, that, that, that Beniah guy? Yeah. He lived for his king. And so maybe the question for us this morning is not so much, how will you, how will I be remembered? But as we think about how we might answer that question, I think the real question is, who or what are you living for? Who or what are you living for? who or what am I living for? Because who or what you are living for is ultimately who or what you will be remembered for. The only reason we read about Benaiah's story is because Benaiah first and foremost fought for his king. And as followers of Jesus, then the question for us is, are you, am I, are, are we living for our king? And this is really then the question that I've come back to over and over again over the last 15 years. It's the question I wrestled with and thought about as I taught here for four years at Southwest. It's a question that I wrestle with as I start a new adventure at Crown. It's not so much what will students remember about my funny stories or maybe the way I taught. But man, I I hope that when students think of Dr. Hines, they think of Someone who lived for his king, someone who lived for Jesus. And I hope and pray for you, students of Southwest, that you would want that to be true of yourself as well. I want that so deeply for you. This isn't to say that like the other things you're remembered for are bad. There's nothing wrong with being a great athlete and breaking school records, and there's nothing wrong with being up on stage and singing and theater and arts. Those are all good things. And you're known for those things. You're remembered for those things. But those things do not define us. They do not drive us. I hope that you want to be known first and foremost as someone who lives for your King. That this place, that this student body would be known, not just in these walls, but outside of these walls. This is a place where those people follow in the way of Jesus. Yes, they have awesome sports teams and awesome theater and smart students who have a high GPA. Nothing's wrong with that. And people will talk about those things. And Southwest might be known for those things. But first and foremost, you're known for living for your king. And that's the challenge I leave with you this morning. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time, Lord, to just share from my heart, God, just some of the things that you've been teaching me over the years as I've sought to walk with you. God, thank you for this place. Thank you for these students. Thank you for who you have created them to be and how they love you. God, would you challenge them to ask the tough question, who or what am I living for? And will you compel them in your love to live for their king and your name?